My name is Cliff and I'm an alcoholic. A real alcoholic of our type. Uh, one time I drank for two years because I saw that of our type. I thought it was a different type. So I drank for two more years. I'm uh, grateful to be here with you guys this, this weekend and thank you for the cake and the beautiful chorus uh, of helium. I almost said, uh, but I didn't do that. Uh, uh, Bob, uh, in his infinite wisdom, has said, uh, you're coming over there to do that, and we'd like you to do a workshop. And I said, oh, okay. And I, I envisioned uh, something indoors. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, me sitting in a chair, and a bunch of people sit around and do a little workshop on stuff, so. And uh, and I, uh, he said, if I do really well here, I can do purgatory next. <laughs> he said, matter of fact, I get a couple years off. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, he said, do it anything you wanted. You know, some several things crossed my mind, but I thought, you know, I'd love to talk about the traditions, and I've got a long history in service, that dreaded word that some people hate. And I love the traditions with all my heart and have been as important in my life, in my sobriety, as the steps have been, frankly. And But I didn't know that we just got a whole peapot full of newcomers here today. Uh, and you start talking about traditions of newcomers, you know, their eyes roll back in their head. Uh, and they doze right off. That's okay, though. Uh, so if you're a newcomer, just... Think about how you're going to feel when you're 10 years sober. Just think about that the rest of the day. Uh, and the funny thing, talking about traditions, this, can you hear me in the back if you want to? Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't want to interrupt you too much. Uh, a couple of things happened this week to me. Uh, and it was interesting that, you know, I had, didn't plan it because I was going to talk about the traditions or anything else. I, uh, these things just happened to me. I reached in and grabbed some tapes out to put in the car when I'm driving around. And I pulled out this tape of a meeting I went to in 1975. And in 1975, they had the first, I would have come to be a very popular thing now, old-timers meetings in Los Angeles. I lived down by San Diego, but a whole bunch of us caravanned up, as we were wont to do, to this meeting in Pasadena. And everybody, and this was in 1975, everyone who spoke that night had at least 30 years of sobriety. So we're talking about 1939, 1940, 1941, and right in there. We're talking about the pioneers. We're talking about the first people to get sober in the city of Los Angeles in the very, very early days of Alcoholics Anonymous. And of course it was my privilege... Uh, being, you know, five years sober at that time, to get to know many of those people personally. Cliff Walker was the very first uh, delegate to the conference from the Los Angeles, from Southern California. He's the one that got me into service. And, uh, and of course, a lot of you have heard Sybil, who became a very dear one. But to know these people, their sense of humor, and their their uh, their Humility, the two characteristics that always grab me. But at this meeting, you see, they were talking about those very early days. 
and of the terrible mistakes they made. Horrible mistakes. You know, there was one group that these two guys got drunk, so they sent a guy out to get them. And he got drunk. So the three of them called. So they sent two more people. And they got drunk. You know? <laughs> so finally they called in. They said, screw you. If you want it, come in here. <laughs> no more scouts. You know? And I was really true. There was a group that got so much money in the Prudent Reserve, which we have problems with that people nowadays. They got so much, a big argument. Everybody got drunk in the group because they were all so mad over this Prudent Reserve thing. There was in the, in the mother group there, they call it the mother group, they decided that you could have three slips and you're out. <laughs> You'd have a different speaker this afternoon, I'll guarantee you. <laughs> that was it. They passed through three slips and, and you're out. And then they got talking about it a little bit later and they thought, wait a minute, you know, huh, we can't deny that. But that, there weren't any traditions. What the hell did they know about it? How, what were they going on? See, it's going on blind luck and... Uh, a little help from above. Uh, they also had a, there were some slippers that were kind of boisterous. We don't know anything about that, do we? You know, some loudmouth slippers. So they decided they, they had these one guy was an ex-wrestler and the other guy was an ex-fighter. They put them at the head of the stairs. And when these guys were to come up the stairs, they were to send them back down the stairs. <laughs> and then some little guy who never said anything in the meeting got up and said, Wait, we can't do that. We can't sentence people to death. <laughs> and they took the guys off, and the guys got sober, ultimately. Uh, but the guy named Mort Joseph was the guy who, he was the last speaker. Oh, it was a wonderful talk, just a wonderful talk. I was telling uh, uh, Marv and I were talking, and Marv, old oh, dear friend of mine, very kind to me when I was new in the program. In fact, he was very cruel to me, which is what I needed at the time. But Marv and I, were, I was talking to Marv about the, one guy from that group that went out on a 12-step call, he got the wrong house, but he, he got the right guy. And the guy said, I don't want any AA. Get the hell out of here. I don't want anything to do with it, blah, blah, blah. And he said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll be glad to go. And there was a picture of this burrow on the wall, and he said, just tell me the last time that burrow smiled at you. How'd you know that? <laughs> and he went to meeting, he got sober. <laughs> uh they, they found one guy because it was the only uh, house in the neighborhood that, that still had the Christmas tree lights on in August. But this Mort Joseph, I had never met him. He had moved from the area and lived up in San Francisco, but they brought him back. Mort Joseph is the guy who found AA out of the big book in a motel room in Palm Springs. Uh, he was on a three-week drunk, and he ran out of booze. And he had no, you know, he, he couldn't get anything to drink, and it was three o'clock in the morning, and he somebody had given him the big book, and he read it. That was in 1939, and the guy got sober from the big book, went on to L.A. where he had started out for, and started AA there. He was he led the very first meeting in Los Angeles, I think it was in 1940. There were maybe six, seven people, and uh, uh, he, he said he did it had his way he put it just killed me. He said. I didn't seem to have any direction at the time. So I said, there's this chapter it's called uh, How It Works. Why don't we read part of that? I didn't seem to have any direction at the time, he said. And so it's read all over the world now. And that's where it started in 1940 in Los Angeles because the guy didn't know what the hell he was doing. So I got I played that tape this week. It was you know I just accidentally put it in the car, 
and was and relived again what it must have been like to live without the traditions. Because let's face it, if you're new, the traditions are a, a record of all the mistakes we've made in AA. The mistakes that almost did AA in. When I was back in New York a couple of years ago, I was looking through the old archives, and there was a in this in the Cleveland Plain Dealer or something. There was this picture. This story said the founder of AA visiting Cleveland, and and they said they had this Bill W. and a picture of him half the size of the paper. His picture in the paper, and you know that was before we had the traditions of anonymity at the public level. Uh, and so every tradition we have is a result of our forefathers screwing up. <laughs> and I'm I'm glad to know that. I'm, that kind of tickles me. I'm glad that AA in the, from the beginning were people like me, goofs. You know that AA wasn't started up on Mount Olympus by a bunch of people in white flowing garments or something like that. Just a bunch of goofy alcoholics uh, who were God inspired, no doubt about that, who tried their best to do this thing in, <laughs> but in spite of themselves it was safe. And then they, you know, like most alcoholics, there's a brick wall there and a door over here. We walk into the wall. <laughs> uh, try it again. <laughs> you know, some Al-Anon standing there says, why don't you try the door? Shut up, mind your God. <laughs> <coughs> And then when the blood gets in your eyes and everything, I think I'll try the door, you know, like, like it was my idea. And I'll have a tradition about going to the door and not running into the damn wall. You know? uh, and so the traditions are a record of our mistakes. Uh, you know, the steps, the steps will work for any of us. And it doesn't matter if we're a millionaire or a skid row bum. It doesn't matter if we're a beautiful woman or an ugly old man. It doesn't, black, green, brown, yellow, red, doesn't make any difference. The steps just work. Have you ever thought about that, how different we all are, and yet the steps work? Because at some level, at some level, we're all the same. All of us. New, old, whatever. At some level, we're all the same. All of us. And that's the level where the steps work. And the steps are the only thing I know of that work even if you don't want them to. Even if you take them going, you know, if you do them, if I do them, they work. And they work with every human being I've worked with. That was the other thing that happened this week. Uh, this month's Grapevine uh, has an article that I wrote in it. And it's called Grow Up. And in the article, I relate the story of my sponsor, Bill Blake, who's been dead now many years. Marvin knew him and loved him. Little electrician there in Oceanside. Mean, little, rotten bastard. Uh, just an honorary little man. And he used to take me every week up to Laguna Beach to a men's stag meeting, which they had on Monday nights in Laguna Beach. And Chuck C. and uh, Jack D. and Turk, Jack Turkin would be there. All these guys with 25, 30... 25, 20, 30, 35 years. And they were really hard-bitten guys. And I was a really a whining newcomer, a really sniveler. So I'd whine and snivel for a couple of minutes to me, and they'd just rip my butt off, just tear me to shreds. They used to love 
Bill, when Bill bring me, he'd watch out and say, oh, he's got the school teacher. <laughs> uh, so one night, Bill and I were coming back on the old highway there, coming back from uh, back down to Oceanside, driving by the beautiful Pacific there. And I said to Bill, they had really ripped me up that night and hurt my feelings a lot. And I said to Bill, they don't know that I'm sensitive. And he didn't say anything, so I blabbed on a little bit longer. I, I probably should have looked over and his knuckles were kind of white on the wheel, you know. A little muscle was jumping in his... And I said it again. And they don't know that I'm sensitive. And he usually yelled at me, but he just turned real quietly to me and he said, Let's get this straight, Cliff. You are not sensitive. You're an immature son of a bitch. That's what you are. And I told him I kind of prefer sensitive insults. <laughs> but he would have none of it. And I went home that night and uh, laid in bed wide awake most of the night. Got up about dawn and went out in the back porch and had a cup of coffee and watched the sunrise. And that's probably what saved my life at Alcoholics Anonymous is that morning I admitted that my sponsor was right. That I had never been sensitive. Sensitive people look out for other people. Sensitive people want to know how you are. I was just immature. I was a 43-year-old man uh, who was a baby. Like Howard says, His Majesty the Baby. I was completely self-obsessed, completely self-indulgent, completely selfish. And I'll tell you, you hang around here long enough and these traditions get in your life, you have to give up some of that crap. Because the very first tradition says, I'm a, but a small part of a great whole. And if the whole goes, then I'm gone too. I can't stay sober. I can't. I proved that for a lot of years. I cannot stay sober. And I assume you can't either. But we can. What is it about us, this thing that we have in, in, in common, that we get in the car with somebody being driven to a meeting, and the magic happens to us. We get it. And all the psychiatrists, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on psychiatrists. I tried psychologists. I tried everything. And a little electrician got through to me. And so, you know, the steps work on all of us. Uh, they just do. Uh, years ago, uh, we did a meeting. We did a, one of those, you take a group to another group and put on a meeting for them. And I think I had 10 or 12 years at that time, maybe 15. And so I had the most sobriety. And there were maybe 20 people going to share. And I called. Everybody talked a couple of minutes. We had newcomers and we had some reasonably old-timers. And since I was leading the meeting, I'd call, I'd call each person up. I'd remember them when they were new. That'll happen to you. You know, when you see somebody coming in, you say, oh, I remember when they were new. And, you know, some of those people when they came in were really obnoxious, overbearing <laughs> pompous jackasses, you know. And then there were other people that were terrified. Just You, you, you couldn't say anything to them because they just look at the floor and make noises. You know, say, how are you tonight, Debbie? <laughs> and I used Debbie's name, and she's been over here. She's talked, I think, at your convention. And then when she was used that way, you, you, you just couldn't, you just had to kind of stay away from her and say, hello, Debbie, and then look away because she'd be like, <laughs> but what struck me that night was how... The obnoxious, overbearing, aggressive people, and the very, very, very shy and retarded and destroyed people, after a year or two even, maybe a year, 
And they all even know. The steps worked on them. The steps did it. Because at some level we're all the same. Now, the traditions, we have the traditions because we're all different. <laughs> Where every one of us in this yard is a unique, separate, completely unique human being. Some more unique than others, but we won't go into that now. Uh, and yet we live together in harmony. A lot more harmony than most organizations I know of that are supposed to be well. You know, we have our times, I know that. But all of us have had to surrender our uniqueness a little bit, or some of us a lot, so that the whole could survive. That's what the traditions are all about. You know, providing a place where we can all be safe from each other and from ourselves, because we're all very, very different. Did you ever notice how meetings will kind of, birds of a feather will flock together? You know, you I know there's a, uh, your group, Bob. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go to the meeting. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> One time, oh God, this was a long time ago. I was, I'm a, I was a teacher. I'm retired now. But one summer, I just, just got it in my, in my head, and I drove, on Monday night, I drove 100 miles up to L.A. to a meeting uh, in Venice. Venice Beach meeting, where the debris meets the sea. You know. <laughs> oh, you should have seen that meeting. You know, there was everybody had tank tops and tattoos, and the parking lot had 400 Harleys in one car. You know, mine. And, oh, God, it was rowdy, foul-mouthed, uh, but what a great meeting it was. It was really a good meeting. The steps were spoken there. And then the next night, Tuesday night, I went to this little town over near Oceanside called Fulbright, a little farming community. Everybody wore overalls, you know, and they're talking about the frost getting the rhubarb. And <laughs> quiet little meeting. You know, nobody raised their voice. Maybe eight people there. But I want to tell you, it was a wonderful meeting. It was a wonderful meeting. And I did that every night that week. I went to entirely meetings I ordinarily... Oh, well, I went to my home group, which is Carlsbad Workshop on Thursday nights. Kind of dressed up Venice. <laughs> uh, and then on Friday night, I went to that old-timers meeting. The old guys down there in San Diego, they used to had a whole row of easy chairs. They're just these old guys that watched you. They never smiled unless you slipped. <laughs> but, you know, the people in those meetings... The people don't mean they went to those meetings because that's where they fit. And isn't it great that we have a tradition that says we can have any kind of meeting we want as long as we don't step on the toes of other people. And so I think it's wonderful that we can do that because there's a lot of meetings I don't care for. I don't care for gray tunnel meetings, you know what I mean? And I don't care for touchy-feely meetings. And I don't care for meetings that have issues. Or boundaries. <laughs> you got to be sober to have a boundary. <laughs> so anyway, the, the, we have the traditions because we're all different. Now, some of you guys that have been around a while, you might have said, oh, he's going to talk about the traditions. He's going to talk about tradition one, two, three. So I, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk around the traditions. I'm going to talk feelings that I have, thoughts that I've had, bizarre as they may be. Uh, they're my, they are my thoughts and my feelings. Uh, you know, I said we're all unique, but we were talking. Who was I?
Steve and I, I think we're talking today about how, if you stop and think about it, it seems like everybody in AA is either a Bill or a Bob. <laughs> Do you ever think of that? You know, our founders. And you know, if you've ever read the history of AA and that kind of thing, there were never two people, it was you and I were talking, uh, two people in the world were absolutely the opposite of each other. Bill was a promoter from the word go. Get out and get him, stir it up, wrote 14 books and 5,000 pamphlets, promoted the world. You know what I mean? You almost had to tie him down. You know, and Bob, he never left Akron. That'll give you an idea of him. <laughs> he had those meetings there in Akron. He's famous for saying, if it works, don't fix it. <laughs> well, that's a hell of a good idea. You know, a lot of Bill's getting in a lot of trouble trying to fix things that ain't broke. But Bill said, the good is often the enemy of the best. So somewhere between, if it works, don't fix it, and the good is often the enemy of the best, i got to find myself a lot of times. I don't know about you, but I find myself in that never-never land a lot of the time. But, you know, of all the records they have, of the people who were alive at the time, any written records, any book, or anything, there never was an instant, instance where Bill and Bob had a harsh word. Two men, absolutely the opposite, and they never had a cross word between them. And I think I know, I think they knew they needed each other. And I think everybody in AA is either a Bill or a Bob, right? And we need each other. You ever been to a meeting of all Bobs? Oh, Jesus. Drive me crazy. The only thing worse is a meeting of all Bills. Call me! I'm right there! <laughs> and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bill myself. I've always been, you know, dashing around and starting meetings and doing this and starting intergroups and blah, 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 blah. But I have a buddy, Pat T., at home. He's a Bob. And I, I sometimes I get all wound up and crazy. I'll go down to Pat's office and sit down and get a cup of coffee and tell him, it's too much for me. They're after me, you know. It's just too much. And he just says, what's it all about anyway, pal? You know, what's really important? Did you pray this morning? And uh, he, he calms me down. He's a Bob. I just need him. And sometimes I turn him over so the moss won't get on one side. You know? I actually got him involved in the uh, in the International when we had it in 95. He actually worked on the International. And everybody carried me around their shoulders. I actually got Pat T to do something. He never Pat. And so I think that's a really good lesson for all of us about uh, looking out for the other side. You know, taking turns. Uh, change the subject now. That's my transition. Uh, a few years ago, I was reading a, a book by a man that I like. His name is Eric Hoffer. He's not has nothing to do with the program. He was kind of a social philosopher. Worked on the docks. In, uh, he was a longshoreman in, in, in San Francisco for many years. No education, but he wrote several, I thought, very good books. And in one of his books, he wrote, uh, In America, every great movement has become a cult or a corporation. Every great, if you look back historically, 
Washingtonians are just one example. You've heard them mentioned lots of times. But every great move in America has become either a cult or a corporation. And I got real panicky, you know. I thought, oh my God. Then I really started thinking about it. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's cultists among us. Uh, I've been all over this country in Canada, and I, I run across areas where there's a, a real strong person uh, who's kind of organized things a lot in backyards and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, Clancy is one that comes to mind right away. Somebody and I were talking about Clancy earlier, and I've known Clancy since the day I got sober, and he has been nothing but kind and wonderful to me. So, But I understand some other people have other opinions. But I'll say, you know, the Pacific Group, with 1,300 people every week, they give more money to the general service office in New York every year from birthdays than most areas, than most, area, most states. They have a GSR, they have an intergroup rep, they're in AA, they're, they follow the, whatever AA says, they, they're in favor of that. And so I can't see where, uh, uh, and there's a, my idea of a guru could be harmful would take people out of way somewhere. Somebody was talking about a city not far from here where there's one guy's trying to take AA to Jesus. And of course our traditions say we don't do that. We don't get involved with outside stuff. It's certainly all right if you're a Christian. Go have fun. But not in AA. And so uh, you you just have to watch out in those areas. Uh, I don't know. I haven't been everywhere, so I don't know everybody. But I can't find these so-called cultists where they're doing any harm. The only thing wrong with a cult is they they a lot of times don't have a sense of humor. I think a sense of humor in AA is absolutely imperative, especially about myself. I mean, I have a sense of humor about you. That, that's, that's good. But when I have a sense of humor about me, <laughs> then, I'm, then I'm home free. And sometimes cultists don't have a sense of humor when you're talking about their cult. Not funny. Uh, but aside from that, I don't have any big deal. And as far as AA becoming a corporation, <laughs> yeah, okay, we're, we're going to make... Uh, Iconoclast into a corporation. Very good. We're going to make nuts. Everybody's a... You get three of us to agree, you've got a coalition, for God's sake. <laughs> but, but in one sense, we have to be careful. Uh, there's been something happening in the last 15 years in AA. Fewer and fewer and fewer groups are supporting the General Service Office in New York, percentage-wise. Uh, when I came in AA, it was probably somewhere around 40%. Now it's down somewhere around 17% or something like that. In, my, in San Diego, uh, in North County, San Diego, there's uh, over 500 meetings. I don't think 100 of them support the general service office or the intergroup for that matter. Now, some of them are too small, can't afford it, but there's plenty of them that aren't. Well, what happens then? If general service office in New York is there, they got a lot of employees, they got to do a lot of work, what, what do they have to do? They have to raise the literature prices. And we don't notice. We're always going, what the hell, another quarter for the big book. And they raise the literature prices, and they can get along without us. Just fine. And someday it could happen. It certainly hasn't. Uh, and, and do I see it in the near future? It could happen someday. If general service office being supported by literature only, they don't have to listen to us at all. The hell with the, with the assembly. The hell with the conference. We'll do whatever we please. So I think all of us ought to try to be sure the groups that we go to are sending something. It isn't how much is sent, it's how many groups send it. And so there is that danger. But, you know, I really don't think there's a big deal to 
cult and a corporation, either one of them happen in an AA, at least as far as I can see. Uh, you know that night that Bill said to me that I was uh, immature? <laughs> uh, that was when I thought and thought about it. There were several things about me uh, and my immaturity that I think have been very important in terms of the, of the uh, traditions. When I, got, when I first got sober, after I was sober a little while, I came to understand that my immaturity manifested itself very strongly because I was intolerant. That's, a, that's an immature trait, intolerance. Uh, now, if you would have told me I was intolerant when I was new, I'd have smacked you. Because, you see, I was a radical and a revolutionary and a rebel. I was 100% socialist. I loved humanity, but I hated people. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, if you'd have said I was intolerant, I would have punched you. I would have, I would have considered that the worst. Thing. And what I came to realize about myself, I don't know, None of you may fit this at all. But I came to realize that I was always very tolerant unless you didn't agree with me. <laughs> then my intolerance went right out the damn window. I was intolerant with anyone who didn't agree with me. And when you get an AA, <laughs> you're going to find a lot of people that don't agree with you. And so that's one of the things that traditions have been very important with me, getting me to surrender that intolerance. Not to automatically assuming because you disagree with me, you're wrong. That there isn't merit in your position. Is there some way we can get this where we both of us are happy? You know, they say a, a, a camel is a horse that was made by a committee. You know, uh, you know, nobody really, it doesn't look like anything, but it works. And so a lot of times you have to, I, I have to say, okay, I'll have to take that part of it from you, you know, if you only accept this part. And that's how we've been getting by all these years. I think, frankly, we do it better than Al-Anon's do from what I watch my wife and her service life. I sit around and go, they get into some real dunny bricks over there, I'll tell you. But I don't talk. But I don't judge anyone. <laughs> what did Scott say? I judge no man. And uh, So anyway, the, the idea of the... There are two... If you don't listen, you knew even newcomers listen here now. There are really two underlying principles, I think. I think. And a lot of other people think. <laughs> Anybody intelligent thinks. Uh, <laughs> underlying all the traditions. Every tradition applies to one of these two principles or to both of them. You with me? And the first one of these principles is, it's one drunk talking to another. That's why AA is the success it is. There are more people sober in this backyard, right here, right now, than in most treatment programs can manage in three years, or five years, or maybe ever. There's more long-term, lifetime sobriety in this backyard. Why? Because it was one drunk talking to another. Because I know how you feel. Because at some level, we are all the same. And I saw one of the newcomers today, she said, I've been looking for years for some place where I fit. And I said, well, you found it. You found it with a bunch of other people who are looking where they fit. And that's what we are. And we fit here. You know, 
a screw for every nut. And, you know, that's why AA works. Uh, I didn't get AA from somebody standing in a microphone or something. I got AA because a little electrician loaded me in the front seat of his car and took me to meetings for two years and who shared with me about him who listened to me and tell my terrible stories of woe and laughed. I said, yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and I fit. Everybody in this room is sober today because somebody, some other drunk, took the time and took the effort to work with you. And I hope there's somebody in this yard, for everybody here today, I hope there's somebody in this yard who you brought to this program and are sitting there thinking about them right now. See, that's the secret. When I'm thinking about you, I ain't thinking about me. That's the secret. If I can think about enough of you, I'm safe. <laughs> Because, you know, I, I might be working on solutions. <laughs> Only thing worse than my problems are my solutions. <laughs> All the solutions kill me. So if I'm thinking about you, I ain't thinking about me. And then, of course, you're getting the benefit of me thinking about you. And so uh, the traditions are protecting that. They're not going to let us become uh, institutionalized. They're not. The traditions are going to not let us have rules set down from above. Nothing is more important, nothing is important as one drunk talking to another. That's what we're about. And so the traditions very wisely protect us from that. Never talked in a nursery school before. Thanks, Bob. I'm going to have you come over and talk for us one of these days. I'm thinking about where we're going to do it. That's what I'm enjoying, thinking about where we're going to do it. No mic at the beach. Okay, so the first, so the first concept, the first underlying principle was, it's one drunk talking to another. Hmm? The second one is, what is the second one? Oh yeah, the second. <laughs> the second one is, I'm, it's slipping away from me. Wait a minute. Second one, <laughs> one drunk talking to another. I got it here. Not. Well, no, I was going to talk about that, too. Oh, and that ties in exactly with what you said. Uh, a guy wrote a book a few years ago, uh, uh, a history of AA. It's not conference approved, but it's the best history book about AA I know it's called. And the name of the book was Not God. And when he wrote the book, the guy was talking about Bill and Bob and all the early guys. And those guys that I was talking about earlier in Los Angeles, they knew very well that they were not God. If any group of people in the history of the world ever proved more that we're not God, it's us. We are the mistake makers of the world. And so, the, tra the, the traditions protect us from assuming that position at any time. So that people can put in authority over other people in the AA. Now, we're not talking about sponsorship. Sponsorship's outside the traditions. How you look at it, the, the traditions weren't written with sponsorship in mind. And when I say sponsorship, that's one of those words that comes up in your mind. You know what a sponsor is, and I know what a sponsor is, and they're nothing alike. My sponsor was a dictator and a vicious, cruel, rotten little Nazi. Thank God, or I wouldn't be here today. My sponsor today is John Ackerman. A lot of you know him. Big Swede. 
just loves everybody. I love you, Cliff. <laughs> but he got me after the little guy got finished with me, see, so but Bill never gave me any any juice at all. He was just a tough so sponsors I'm not talking about sponsorship. I mean, anybody I don't want anybody to misinterpret me here. But in AA, at the at the group level we see a lot of people trying to be God. And sometimes at the intergroup level we get uh, a group of people who'll just be there and be there and be there, and pretty soon they think they're God. And sometimes at the state level, intergroup, uh, I mean at the, at the area assembly level, at state assemblies and that kind of thing, especially in the Midwest, in the very sparsely settled states, they'll get a core of people who suddenly think they're God. Once in a while we'll get somebody in the general service office, or a committee, one of the trustees committees, will get thinking, sometimes delegates get thinking they're God. <laughs> Uh, and the idea of any of us being God is just absolutely a riot, isn't it? We prove that we can't do that. And so these traditions very carefully spell out where we can't be bossing each other around. See, sponsorship's not the same because if, if I'm sponsoring you, you ask me to sponsor you. And I say, oh, okay. Well, that means he wants what I have and is willing to go to any length to get it. And so if I tell him to do something that's outside of what he believes to be right or wrong, he can look at me and say, I just changed sponsors. I'm going to go see Bob now. And I go, ah. But, uh, <laughs> no, I go, <laughs> See, the, the sponsee has all the power. And the inner group does, you know, the, the groups have all the power, but you don't see it as clearly. And the delegates have all the power over the trustees, but we don't see that clearly. But in sponsorship, we see it clearly. So nobody can be the boss of anybody in AA, especially at the group. And you know what's the number one problem there? Lack of rotation. Every time you see a group or an intergroup or an assembly, anytime you see them in trouble, you know what, what happened. The same people got... Elected over and over, they you know they just passed passed it around, and nobody else wanted to do it, so we're doing. It. Bob and I have both been to conventions where the convention sucked because the same group of people kept doing it over and over. Then you go to another one where there's all newcomers and they invent the wheel again every year. <laughs> but what you need is a balance between people who have some time and people who don't, because you need that energy, you need that change. I know in my area, and I'm sure it's here too. I know that's where we learned it was in L.A. when you guys were. You know, in about two years, you say, get out of the way, I'm running things now. You know? And I love that. When I get a guy two years sober, I want him to bump me out of the way. I'll do that, God damn it. That's the rotation. It'll make you rotate. <laughs> and so, you've had an outside out here. Uh, I talked about the, the traditions being very, very important in my life. And I talked about that intolerance. Uh, the other uh, thing I realized about myself when I, because I was immature, I was uh, undependable. You know, if I used to give you my word, I would be somewhere and do something. You new guys listening now? Yeah. I would give you my word, I would be somewhere and I would do something. And I was so proud of you newcomers here today. Guys cooking and gals cleaning up and people working, being a part of. You're AA now. You're a part of it. And... Uh, and I, I, after I got an AA, I had a sponsor. If you if you said you were going to do something, if you didn't do it, he came down to your house in the middle of the night, as far as I knew, and took you away and killed you. 
So I just always did it, you know. And I got in the habit. I, I got in the habit. I'm not looking for any sympathy here at all today. I'm, because, you know, I, I'm 73 years old today. I would have much preferred to be home with my family. I really would have. And they were going to just, we'll have the thing tomorrow that we we're going to have today. I did have no great desire to leap on an airplane and come over here in this lovely backyard. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but I've been trained. I said I'd do it. I'd do it. I didn't know it was this weekend. I just said yes, and we'd do it. And, uh, and I, did, I would do it for Bob anyway because he's the same way. If you ask Bob to do something, Bob's there. He does. And so I do that for him. And then uh, I just hung around here long enough to where the steps worked. I did the steps, and I had the spiritual awakening as a result of those steps. And I started out, they, the steps didn't seem like a good idea, but they worked. And the traditions let me stay here long enough so that my immaturity wouldn't hurt you or get me drunk. And so finally, I, I'm you know, at the point today where I have a conscious contact with a higher power as a result of the steps and the traditions. So if you're new... Go home tonight, if you've if you if you've got what, anything from me at all. Read the long form of the traditions to yourself. Sometimes you can get faked out. The, first, the long form of the first tradition says, I'm a small part of a great whole, but AA can't get along without me. My part, still an important part. You know, in the fourth tradition it says, uh, is that the third? It says, the short form says, the only requirement... Is a desire to stop drinking. And I've heard old-timers beat people over the head with that and not allow you to mention the fact that you might have smoked a little dope in your time. And uh, I've known some old, very few, very few old-timers that were so adamant about that, about talking about drugs because they took them. <laughs> uh, oh, prescribed, of course. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the long form of that tradition says, we don't want to keep anyone out of AA. Anybody who has a, a, any kind of a desire to not be drunk anymore, they're welcome here. Desire to stop drinking, you're welcome here. Now, nobody's saying that a person who's a complete drug addict and never had a drink in their life is welcome here. Nobody's saying that. But we're inclusive. We're an inclusive organization. Did you ever hear that old uh, poem that says, They called me a rebel and a thing to flout. They drew a circle and shut me out. But love and I, we knew the way to win. We drew a circle and shut them in. That's AA. Thanks. Thank you, Cliff. You're all right. I'll, I'll treasure that forever. I got a basket with a dollar in it. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pass the basket. Especially for you people who couldn't hear. You get to contribute now. <laughs> We're going to have dessert, I think. Where is it? I had it. I guess we're not going to have dessert. Rick, we edit. Plenty, we got plenty of dessert. Do they come in for it or out here? No, we'll bring it out. Uh, we'll clear up that table and bring it out. Okay. So you know, <laughs> we don't want to go inside where it's cool. No. We're going to bring the warm desserts out in the next few minutes.
There's a meeting tonight at the uh, North Las Vegas, in North Las Vegas, at uh, the Silver Nugget in the boxing arena. <laughs> the old boxing arena. As compared to the new boxing arena, which isn't built yet. And Cliff is going to be our, our main speaker tonight. No traditions tonight. No traditions. He'll probably be a lot better tonight. Yeah, a lot better. Okay. You want to close, Bob, with the Lord's Prayer or anything? Okay, let's stand up and hook up. <laughs>